Turn with me now, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Judges. We, um, we are, uh, we've come to the story of one of the greatest of the Judges, uh, even in the midst of this downward slide into depravity uh, that we continue on as we move through the book. Jephthah is, I think, uh, also one of the most misunderstood of the judges as well, but a bit more on why that is next week. Uh, I do want you to remember where we were last week. Remember uh, a bit of Jephthah's personal history. He was born illegitimate. Uh, He was born to a prostitute. He was rejected then by his own family, by his half-brothers, driven out of his family home, and if that wasn't enough to make Jephthah uh, unlikely as a, as, a, as a righteous judge to lead his people, his job in exile, the one thing a great warrior like him was able to do while he was uh, separate from his, from his people, is that, um, uh, is that he did the work uh, of um, a mercenary. He, uh, he uh, hired some other men. Uh, we, the Bible tells us they were worthless men. Uh, but they were warriors for hire, and so they frequently would help out Syrian villages or Amorite towns or even Gentile nations. Uh, think of the Magnificent Seven. They were uh, kind of there to protect these towns and villages uh, for money. So this guy is, is, is highly unlikely as a deliverer for Israel. But the day comes when uh, Israel sees that the army of Ammon are starting to mass again on the ridgeline above their uh, town of Gilead. And Ammon has been attacking and taking whatever they want from Israel for about 18 years. They were smart about it. They never eradicated all of Israel. They would wait till Israel had a harvest come in or wait a couple of years till some more children were born and then they'd attack and take harvest and children as slaves, and go back to what they were doing. And then they would just attack and attack and attack. This has been going on for 18 years. So you can imagine that whenever an attack was imminent, it begins to cause panic among God's people. Those Ammonites, they're squeezing us, they're oppressing us, they are attacking us. We need a leader. We need somebody who's able to fight back. Uh, We need someone to form and train an army. We need somebody to then lead that army into battle. And in the midst of this conversation among themselves, you see it there in verse 4 of chapter 11, the Ammonites attack. The attack is on. And nothing brings a decision point faster than the tyranny of the urgent. Suddenly, they've got to make a decision. Who's it going to be? And uh, the elders of Gilead, who are Jephthah's own brothers, don't miss that. You can see it in verse 7 when Jephthah responds to the leaders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? In other words, the leaders of Gilead are the sons of Gilead who are his half-brothers. They humbly have to reach out to the one guy they'd love not to take this job. He's the only one capable of doing it, though. They're thinking, do we have to do this? And So hat in hand, they reach out to their illegitimate, born of a prostitute, disinherited brother, that might have been the biggest thing. They really don't want to bring him back to any kind of inheritance. 
Well, Jephthah drives a hard bargain. He asks and gets a covenant promise from his brothers that if he does this thing, if he leads the people into battle and by God's hand they're actually rescued from Ammon, then he will not only be their military commander, he will be their civil ruler. He'll be their judge. So let's pick up the action then at verse 12, chapter 11. Hear now the reading of God's word. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, What do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan, now therefore restore it peaceably. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the kingdom of Edom would not listen. And they sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab, and camped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to our country. But Sion did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sion gathered all his people together and encamped at Jahaz, fought with Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated him. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites, who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Kamosh, your God, gives to you to possess? And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel? Or did he ever go to war with them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Eroer and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we're talking about the importance of history. A lot of us do not like history. Uh, there are whole songs about not liking history. But history is important. 
So this morning we're gonna we're, we're the, the the things we're gonna look at is you, you you do have to know your history. Second, you have to know your personal history, and third, you in, you need to know your historical future. You have to know your future and its certainty. Okay, you have to know your history. You have to know your personal history within that larger history, and you have to know the historical fact of your future, if you will, as well. So let's look at those three things. Uh, first, know your history. The Lord um, here is, is doing some interesting things. Uh, we first need to be reminded of the history of the Ammonites. These people who are gathering on the border of Gilead, they're getting ready to attack Israel. Who are these people anyway? Why should we care about them? Well, gaze back over chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, and you see that the Lord is using the Ammonites, and uh, they're the superpower, if you will, of this day in Canaan. Their, their army is the, is the most powerful one. The Lord is using the, the army of the, of the uh, Ammonites to chasten his own people, Israel. Now remember what's happening in the book of Judges is that the, the people of Israel over and over do what's right in their own eyes. One of the things they keep doing is they're the people of God, but they keep going after other gods. Other gods look more attractive to them. The way that other people live seems more attractive to them sometimes. Sometimes they just want what they want, and they go toward the god or the people that is most like what they want. But every it's, there's chaos. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And so the Lord is chastening his people so they come back to him, the one true God, the only God there is. And, and God allows the Ammonites to hassle his own people for about 18 years. And their, their army is far bigger than Israel's. But more than that, the Ammonites are descendants of Lot. That's an important piece of the history here. They're descendants of Lot through an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his own younger daughter. If you ever think that the Bible scrubs uh, history, uh, just, just, just one read through Genesis 19 will, uh, will, will take that delusion away from you. You might also remember that it's in that chapter that the Moabites are also the descendants of Lot's other incestuous relationship with his older daughter. So we might say that the Ammonites are literally kissing cousins of Israel. So then in a sense, they, they, they share some of the same language. They share a common history. And while Jephthah is indeed a mighty warrior and he's assembled his army he first does something with his distant cousins. He tries diplomacy. He first tries dip diplomacy. He tries the way of peace. He sends messengers to Ammon to find out exactly why are you attacking us? What's, what's motivating you? Uh, what do you have against Israel? And by the way, this way of doing uh, diplomacy first, again, if you know your history, if you uh, read through the Pentateuch, if you know uh, Deuteronomy, you'd, you'd find that in Deuteronomy verse, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 10, the people of God are told that whenever you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer first terms of peace. Offer first terms of peace. Don't just be fighting people willy-nilly. You only go into battle if you're called by the Lord to do it. And if you feel that you have to do it, offer terms of peace first. So there'll be no bloodshed. Everybody's made in the image of God. And that's exactly what happens here. Jephthah knows his history. 
He knows the law. He enters negotiations. He's a shrewd diplomat. Uh, next week we're going to look at this fact that the, the idea that, that everyone thinks that Jephthah is this rash leader who makes a rash vow. Nothing we'll see is further from the truth. Jephthah is deliberate in everything that he does. Now, it turns out that the motivation for the king of the Ammonites is land. Land in the ancient world, land is power. This is a land dispute over exactly whose territory Gilead is going to be. Does it belong to Israel? Does it belong to Ammon? Whose is it? Now, here's the thing. You can cheat somebody if they don't know their history. You can cheat somebody if they don't know their history. You know this yourself. You're constantly seeing ads for things online that you've already bought. They kind of want you to forget that you already bought it and that you'll just buy it again. They even have like these buttons where you can just keep hitting the button. You, you forget everything. And, and pretty soon you're, you know, your, your house is filled with you know, your toilet paper or whatever it is you want. They, they hope you forget. It's one of the reasons Amazon provides for return. I already own this thing. I'm sending it back. The king of Ammon is banking on the very same thing. And just as it helps to know your purchasing history, it helps to know your biblical history. And Jephthah's history lesson goes like this. First, he tells Ammon's king, when we come up, this is the history lesson here, when we came up out of the land of Egypt, we always offered peace along the way or on the way through. We always did that. In fact, in fact, Jephthah says, we were the ones who were attacked without provocation. In terms of walking around militaristically, that's not us. We're innocent of that. Number two, he says, it's the Lord our God who gave us this land. You Ammonites, Jephthah says, you Ammonites, when you think that your God gives you land in battle, you certainly think it's yours. Well, the same thing happened here. This is a simple what's goose, good for the goose is good for the gander logic here. The Lord gave us this land after we attacked by leading us into a victory in a fight that we never asked for, but obedient to God, we went into battle and he gave us this land after we were attacked there. Third, Jephthah points out that the victory when the Lord did give Israel this particular land happened 300 years ago. In other words, um, king of Ammon, if you've really been missing this land for, for, for this much, that you're willing to go into battle for it, why did it just strike you in the last 18 years when we've been here for 300 years? But fourth, and maybe this is the biggest one of all, you see, Jeff, that he mentions it in verse 21. He mentions it in verse 22. He repeats himself again in verse 23. This land was never actually yours. It was never yours in the first place. And here it helps to not only know your biblical history, but a little of your biblical history geography. I learned this the, the hard way. Um, yes, I grew up across the, the river in Pennsylvania. And uh, as a kid, I would go to, uh, to Trenton and, and to Princeton. But the rest of New Jersey was like that... that uh, uh, New Yorker, you know, pictures like the rest of it's just way out there. It's a strange land. And um, <clears throat> so uh, shortly after I got out of college, I was working in the news business and somebody was uh, thinking of hiring me. 
and uh, said, uh, I want you to meet at 234 Main Street in Morristown, New Jersey. Okay. No GPS, by the way. This is like prehistoric. Got to know your history, right? So I go to 324 Main Street in Morristown, New Jersey. It sounded exactly alike. Morristown, Morristown. Come on, right? And so we're both on the phone with each other, and I'm like, I'm standing right here. And he's like, and I'm standing right here. <laughs> and we thought, oh, are we in a parallel universe? We're 234 Main Street in Morristown, New Jersey, right? Morristown. Totally different place. And it's the same thing here. Israel had taken this land. You heard it in the reading that Jen did from Numbers 21, that God's decree was that Israel took it not from the Ammonites, but the Amorites. They can sound a little similar, completely different tribes of people. The king of Ammon is engaging in a bit of revisionist history. And Jephthah corrects him from the original sources, Bible in hand. It wasn't the Ammonites that owned this. It wasn't you people, it was the Amorites. And for you students, especially those in high school, thinking of college, Citing original sources could not be more important because people are often revising history for their own purposes. A little bonus editorial here. Wikipedia is not your friend. Okay? It's a tool, but it's not your buddy. Now, you'd think, you'd think, because remember, they're, they're kissing cousins. They do kind of have a common history together. You'd think that by citing the original sources, the source book, the Pentateuch, that contains the history of both peoples in Numbers 21, that the king of Ammon would say, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, there was almost mistaken bloodshed today. I almost attacked the wrong people. I'm sorry this was never my land in the first place. We're moving along. But that's not what he does. That's not what motivates him. He's thinking, this land is my land. I just want it. Some of you know that we're doing a Sunday school class on trying to have a distinctively Christian understanding of, of politics. Um, what, in other words, does the Bible have to say about pre-political categories of creation and humanity, and what are pre-fall categories that Christians might need to understand how a government is supposed to work, what it's supposed to do, what it can't do, to work in a post-fall world where Jesus is Lord over all. Because what you find today is that Christians slap together kind of American history and church history. Political categories with national history, Bible and Constitution, they get all kind of marbled and mashed together. And pretty soon you have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness mashed together with render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And the wall of separation between church and state is mashed together with in God we all trust. Uh, uh, and, 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 and be subject to the governing authorities. And the idea that Jesus is Lord over all is combined with, but I have to pledge the allegiance to the flag. And, you know, maybe that's okay, but people cannot dig their way out of these issues like taxation and, and thorny things like immigration because all their categories and their histories and their allegiances are all mashed together, and people can use your lack of historical knowledge against you. Now, I have no problem with knowing your individual family histories or your nation's history, but what I'm most passionate about for us 
as a congregation. What I'm most passionate about is, is that confessing, confessing Christians should be passionate about what is our history. What is, what is, what is our common history in God's Word? Got to know this first. This has to be of first importance. And, and you're to know these things. They were put on a doorpost for a reason, and you're supposed to give them to your children, and your children are supposed to give them to their children. You're supposed to remember who you are. You're supposed to remember your history so that you don't get caught up in things that you should not be caught up in. Remember then, remember then that your primary category for identity is not that you're a citizen of New Jersey, but that you're a citizen of heaven. You're not an American first. You're a Christian first. I don't care if you're born in New Jersey, if you're a citizen still of Korea, if you're here on an F1 or an M1 student visa, or whether English is your first or your second or your third language. The Bible says because of King Jesus, your primary citizenship as a Christian is in heaven. That's your country. You are a mere pilgrim here. You're not spending forever here. And that's the story of how, you see, the story how that heaven became our country is in here, is in the story that actually Jephthah is telling to the king of Ammon. It unfolds, you see, in this book. So you've got to know your history. This is so much important than what happened in the news this past week. As important as that may seem to you in the moment, what is in this book as your history is far more important than that. Number two, number two, know your personal history within that larger history. Look at verse 15. When Jephthah is engaging with the king of Ammon on correcting his history, he could have gone back to Lot. He could have reminded them of that. Heck, he could have started with Adam if he wanted to. Israel and Ammon, Jephthah and the king of Ammon, they have that in common. But look where he begins. Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea. Think about that. The historical event that Jephthah points to is a reference point that the king of Ammon does not have in common with Jephthah, deliverance from Egypt, the redemption of God's people. He knows about it. In fact, the king of Ammon mentions it in verse 13. He knows that it happened historically, but because the people of God are the people of God and are following God, it's a separate history. It's a separate history. Because for God's people, it is now known as the starting point of all history. That's where Jephthah's going to start. It's when the people of God, by God's covenant promises, were released from sin and death. Were released from slavery to sin. Were released from bondage. That's the big story in the Old Testament. We have a faithful God that delivered us. He is our delivering God. He's our God. He protects us. He loves us. He cares for us. The fellow pastor Carl Robbins points out that Jephthah, born of a prostitute and pushed out of Israel, still knows that his personal history really began 360 years earlier 
with God's miraculous deliverance through the Red Sea. He starts with who he is, who the people of God are, you see, and what happened to him and happened to his ancestors. It happened to him in his ancestors. Don't miss this. The Exodus, you see this? Paul mentions this. Jesus talks about this. The Exodus is this singular Old Testament picture of the redemption of God's people out of death, spare slavery and oppression. That's the big picture of it. Think about what Jephthah is doing. He's telling the king of Ammon, Yahweh is my God. The God who delivered us through the Red Sea, he gave us the law. He gave us the promises. That's my God. Second, he's saying the God who crushed Egypt without moving a muscle, this God who took down the greatest civilization the world has ever known, Ammon, you are nothing compared to Egypt. So know who my God is. Before We're in negotiations now. If we're going to have a battle, you have to know who my God is. You have to know who goes into battle with me. You have to know that I'm, I'm trying to make peace here because when the Lord leads God's people into, into battle, in a sense, we don't lose. Nothing can compare to my God. Jephthah then goes on to remind his enemy that what his enemy thinks of him, this is fascinating and important for us, doesn't matter to him. Doesn't matter to him. What matters is who God is and what God has done for him. In fact, look at verses 24 and 25. And depending on, on how old you are, I want you to like channel, like if you're younger, channel like a Nick Fury voice in uh, Winter Soldier, if you're a bit older, like John Wayne and the Searchers, right? Listen for the attitude here. Because he's, I, 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 want you to, I want you to have a kind of biblical, confident swagger about your personal history. I do want that for you. It's a good kind of pride, as you'll see. Because he, he basically, Jephthah says, and all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor? Are you any better than the king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel? Or did he ever go to war with Israel? In other words, know your personal history, Mr. King of Ammon, because you've never done what others have tried to do. You, you, don't do it. Don't even try it. Now, here's what I want you to take from this. I'm making the case again for a kind of godly swagger, not the fake kind, not the kind that you summon up, not the trash talk that maybe some people do and try to, where you're trying to be something that you're not, but the kind of confidence that comes from being known by God. Okay? Being known by God in your personal history. Look, <clears throat> think about this for a minute. Who are you? Okay? Who are you? The world wants some of you to think you're your SAT score. The world wants others of you to think about you're the college that you graduated from. Or you're an Ivy Leaguer. The world wants to sum you up in a class. Are you lower middle class? Are you upper middle class? Every document that you fill out these days wants you to find yourself by, by your race or your, by your melanin count. Or by a place of origin. Are you from Africa? Are you from Asia? Before they ask you whether you're American. 
Uh, are you a white American, Asian American? So that the world is obsessed with identities. It's, 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 it's become an idol. And they want you to, it's so obsessed that we're now allowing people to define themselves. What gender would you like to be? What are your preferred pronouns that you might like to invent about yourself? So who are you? Are you who your friends think you are? Are you what you've tattooed on yourself? Or are you, are, 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 are you something that you've put out there and you know, I'm a pretender. I'm not even who I want people to think. I, who are you? How are you going to identify yourself? How do you know who you are? How do you know you're living up to who you think you are? What do you do at a time like that when everything's sort of shaky about who you are? What do you do when you're being challenged on who you are and, 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 and people think that you don't measure up to who you think you are? The answer of the Reformation is the answer of the Bible. You go back to your exodus. You go back to your personal story. You remember your baptism. You trace your history back to your justification. I was a sinner. And that's it. Whatever kind of sinner people labeled you as. And now I'm something new. I've been reborn. Not because of anything that I did, but by grace alone, God transformed me and is making me new. I'm this new person. Your testimony, you see, of who you are is rooted in God's delivering you when you came to trust in Jesus Christ. You're a new creature. Now, when you're in these sort of culture wars of identity, is that where you go? Is that where you go? When someone questions your worth, when you think, I have to be better, when someone is selling you in a sense of revisionist history about yourself, telling you you won't amount to anything because you're a victim or because you don't come from the right place, because you don't have the right accent or, or, or you're not the right gender, you're not the right color, do you fight on their turf or do you remember who the Holy One says you are? What do you do? Where do you go? Do you remember your personal history of deliverance in the big story of the Exodus, the deliverance from sin and death? Fight with a little godly swagger that says, the Lord is my God. And, and then when somebody says to you, I just think you're a loser. I don't think you fit. What you can do to that person is say, you know what? You're, they're, they're, in, in large measure, you're right. I'm a loser. It's true. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. But my God saved a loser like me and put me on solid ground so that I will never shake. I will never be undone. You have nothing over me. You cannot scare me. You cannot own me. You cannot enslave me. I am Christ's alone. He has purchased me back. Is that where you go? Is that your identity? Is that how you live? That you've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because for you, like Jephthah, your answer is more than, who am I? You better go to this. You better get to, whose am I? It's personal. It's not a thing. It's not a pronoun. It's a, you're, you're, it's a, 
It's possessive. You're the Lord's. You're his. My history begins with the God who delivered me out of fear, oppression, sin, and death. Brothers and sisters, know your personal history. You're the only Bible that some people will ever read. So let them know who you are in Christ. Finally, know your future. In a sense, know your certain future history. Jephthah, Jephthah closes out his history lesson with um, the king of Ammon in verse 27. He says, I therefore have not sinned against you, and it's you who do me wrong by making war on me. He's saying, Israel never attacked you. You've revised history. This land is not your land. But then look at the end of verse 27. Because Jephthah knows not only who he is, Jephthah knows who he's not. Jephthah's confidence doesn't come from himself. He completely trusts in the Lord. You wonder how Jephthah gets into the hall of faith? And this is how he does it right here. Jephthah is not the judge. He says, the Lord is my judge. I'm not the deliverer, Mr. King. Jehovah is, and he is not a judge as if this will be a close match with Kamosh, the god of Ammon, against Yahweh. No, Yahweh is the judge of the whole world. The only one. And this same truth was recovered again at the time of the Reformation. Jephthah is not going into battle to save himself or even to save Israel. He goes into battle because he knows he will fight for the God who will win. You see, God is the doer. He's the active one. Jephthah is saying, I am saved by grace through faith in God. Such that what is judgment on you, O king of Amnon, is grace upon grace on me. And, and, and here's how great and grace-filled this is. Look how freeing this is. How much confidence this gives Jephthah and should give us. Jephthah says, I haven't sinned against you, but you sinned against me. The Lord, he's the judge. He's going to decide between you and me. Do you know how, that, how freeing that is? Jephthah is saying, look, I'm a sinner, but I have, the only difference between you and me is, I have a future not guilty verdict about me that is certain because of what the Redeemer God is going to do. And he's already rendered that verdict about me. You can sin against me, but you know what? I don't have to sin back against you. I don't have to hold a grudge against you, King of Ammon. I may have to go into battle against you today. But I'm not going to do it uh, motivated by anger or hate or anything else. I'm not motivated by revenge. I don't have to avenge my reputation. I am who I am because I know who I am in Christ. And I'm saved by grace alone on account of faith alone. And because of Christ alone, he's the judge. He's going to judge you fairly. He's even going to judge me fairly. He's going to judge me fairly as a sinner. He's going to judge me fairly as a sinner that should have nothing to do with me. He's going to judge me fairly as a sinner in recognizing that there's not one part of me that isn't affected by the fall and the depravity that comes from the fall, but he's going to judge me fairly because he's going to judge Jesus in my place. I 
know my future. I know where I'm going. Do you know who you are? Do you know your personal history? We keep being told that we're, we're, we're in this very important moment in world history. You know how long they've been saying that? I remember my mother saying that to me in our kitchen in, 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 in South Jersey when I was this little guy. It's always like that. The important thing is, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know your personal history? Do you know that, 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 that you've been blessed by an exodus out of death? You've been rescued from that. And so now live as, as Jephthah does. You're going to come into contact with people who want to do battle, want you to give in to them, where they want to tell you what their identity is, and they want you to fold and collapse into what the world thinks your identity should, should be. It could be anything from like your, your body type to, to uh, again, what school you went to, what kind of job you have, how much money you have in the bank, where you are, all the things, all the ways we love to divide. And yet you've already been delivered out of that. Live in the certain future, your future history that you have in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we thank you for um, our history. We know that our parents, we know that our, uh, who our historical parents are, is they're, they're Adam and Eve. And we know that they fell into sin. But we also know that God became man and lived in time and space and was a real human being who was born in a real historical town named Nazareth who did real historical things, miracles, and spoke historically recorded words and historically rose from the dead with a historically recorded resurrection to vindicate us from our sin. Lord, remind us of that, the certainty of that history. Show us your grace and may we live in it. In Jesus' name, amen.